Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. Almost 25 years ago, then FBI Director Louis Free told the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Crime that, quote, we, meaning the FBI, are potentially the most dangerous agency in the country. Since then, his words have rung ever more true, not only for American citizens, but for the FBI's own employees. My guest today is a case in point. Nearly a quarter century into a stellar career, FBI agent Robert Kobus, who was supervising 35 employees, suddenly found himself banished to the deserted 24th floor of a New York City federal building surrounded by 130 empty desks littered with debris and rotting food. Why? because he'd upheld his oath of office and told the truth when he reported that another FBI agent had broken the law. What began for Cobus as a doing the right thing moment when he pointed out to a new supervisory special agent that giving birthday leaves to his subordinates was a fraud against the government devolved into a nine-year nightmare of harassment and retaliation for Cobus. Cobus's story is one of 15 accounts of outrageous retaliation by the Bureau's well-oiled attack machine against agents who reported wrongdoing within the FBI who are, that are documented in former supervisory special agent Rosemary Dew's book titled, Your FBI, How the FBI Suppresses Whistleblowers to Hide FBI Scandals and Crimes. Today, Cobus is going to talk about what happened to him as well as the dangerous implications of the FBI's mafia-like protection of wrongdoers, both within and outside of the agency. Welcome, Robert. Very nice to be on your show. So first, let's talk about your experience. Tell okay. us what happened. Okay, well, first for the record, uh, my official title is operations manager. So I just want uh, not to be confused. I was one of two FBI operations managers in the New York office. And I worked for the New York office for 35 years, started 1981 to 2016. My first 14 years, I loved being on the job. I actually rose through the ranks. I, uh, and the reason I say that I'm a humble person, but I just want the people watching the show to know, I went up 10 GS levels, nominated for two fieldwide awards, and just loved my job. I mean, it was just, it was just an order to walk in every day. And in 2001, my sister, Deborah Kobus, was killed on 9-11. She actually was on the impact floor of Tower 2. And let me tell you, the FBI, they were, went above and beyond, especially one executive there. He was just phenomenal and really worked with me. And I just, I thought, okay, this is a great career, great job, getting involved in a lot of really neat things. And then in 2004, it just changed. I used to work in a command center operation post. I was the, uh, one of the managers there. And uh, they used to put agents, supervisors that had maybe some issues or maybe just needed more additional training. They would put them in the command center operation post because it wasn't as intense as say being out uh, on a squad that was out in the field. And, you know, for some reason, in 2004, my manager then came up with an idea of letting people take off without using their sick leave 
or their uh, vacation time. You know, and it's funny to me, nobody really said this, but to me, it's like a no-show job. You know, you have union officials that get prosecuted for no-show jobs. And I'm sorry, and don't mind my Brooklyn accent, but um, this was a no-show job, you know, and I really took it to heart. I don't want issues. I was not going to sign to say that people were on the job when they weren't. And it's funny, since I left a career, left my job, you know, I asked everybody in lo- literally in life, and they said they would never do that. It was just such a simple, simple case. Yeah. You know, so for one year, I went back and forth. Literally for one year, can't do it. Went to other managers. They kept telling me he's rough around the edges. Don't worry about him. He's just trying to help people. And I, you know, I offered. I said, we can write, we can write incentive awards. Let them do something that's worthy of an incentive award. You can get time off, not just taking people. And really what the straw that broke the camel's back was that one time I got an overtime request to say that we had to fill an overtime spot on the weekend and one of the employees didn't show up, but they didn't take leave. So I had to fill an overtime spot by because the person did not take leave. It got to the point it was ridiculous. In 2005, new executives were coming in. I was like, thank God. And I fired off a simple email to them. I said, welcome. And I said, you know, please look into this. That's all I'm saying. Just look into it. And boy, I tell you, from that single email, my whole career changed. They got in a couple of weeks later. They brought me to their office. They talked to me. Basically, they said, they'll look into it, and they're going to either fire the person that was doing it, or they're going to fire me. And I'm like, whoa, why are you going to Why fire? would they fire you? I'm the one bringing it to attention, you know? Um, and then a couple of weeks after that, like you said, um, the federal building in New York has a 24th floor. Literally, it's a full New York City block. And on one side of the building, there were the 130 empty desks. And basically, um, I sat there. And I thought I actually was going to sit in an office, but they made me sit in the reception desk. So this way, if anybody was in the hallway, they can look into this massive space and see me sitting there. Why did they send you there? What did they tell you? If I remember correctly, the one executive, the top executive at the time said he sent me there to increase my chances for a promotion. And how was how was sitting in a block size, uh, empty office going to increase your promotion? Uh, That's what he said, you know, and that was, you know, obviously it was not true by sitting there. And, you know, it's. But what about all your employees that you were supervising? Well, no, then I was just reassigned and I was there. And I, as you see, I'm a guy that I run every day. I have a lot of energy and it was, I wanted to work. I don't want to sit there and do nothing. And that's what they forced me basically to do nothing. And then it got even worse. They made a uh, announcement to the squad that I used to supervise saying that, Hey, basically I'm in Siberia. I always remember that term because somebody told me, and I actually even reported that when I made my filing that I was in Siberia. And, and then they sent two FBI agents actually to my house. I live about 35 miles away because I had an assigned bureau vehicle. It was an old one, six years old. I mean, there was no, and, but they needed it. And uh, I said, wow, you know, it started to get really personal now because I, I was drilling in the U.S. Coast Guard Reserve for a week locally. 
And when I got the call, I said, okay, you want my car? I mean, it's not my car, it's the bureau's car. Let's uh, bring it, I'll drive it back in that evening because I'm local. They said, no, we have to send agents out to your house. And in retrospect, they did it. To, to, now they wanted to embarrass me in front of my wife and kids. Wow. You know, wow. And, you know, so they came out and, you know, and after that, it got really personal. Um, after my sister was killed on 9-11, my mom had a lot of issues because they lived together. And they had to go, she had to be, I put her in a assisted living center and try to help out. And she had all, she's had the onset of Alzheimer's dementia. And there's a thing, there's an, um, it's, it's called sundowning, where in the afternoon, Alzheimer's patients start to get confused as the sun goes down. And so I asked for, to be changed my, um, well, you know, I'm sorry, it gets a little emotional. It's okay. It's okay. You know, because, um, you know, I asked for an hour and 15 minutes, you know, instead of working 8.15 to 4.45, I asked to work 7 to 3.30. And the reason I asked, so I was able to jump on the train, make it back to my mom, make sure she was fed for dinner. And it took them months to approve this, months. And it was like, real. And this is something that, well, put it this way, when I finally got off the deserted floor, there was a SSA called Stan, and he was a very decent man. And literally from the first day, I explained the situation. He said, Robert, I can, I can approve it for three days a week. Start the first day. That's but, a supervi- SSA is a supervisory, supervisory special measure. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sorry if I'm talking. Uh, no, I'm talking no, no, fast. no. You know, and, uh, you know, it's just that's where it hurt. It's, it starts to get personal, you know, and it was all done to just, you know, just to put me in place because, and I'll say it now and I'm say it later, is I really believe that executive management of the Bureau, it needs to be changed because they're looking, they don't want anything on their, um, in their career to happen because they're looking for the next payday. You know, when they leave the Bureau, yes, they get a lot of great jobs. And, but, you know, it's just, you don't do this to people. You don't personally hurt them. You know, and it's just. Well, why did, what I don't understand is why did they go from zero to trying to crush you on such a small matter? I mean, it was such a small matter. It is. It is. Why? Why did they do that? What was the message that they were trying to send to everybody else? I mean, that's what it feels like it was. Yeah, no, it was. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because. It was unchecked. It was unchecked. I don't want to say unchecked power, but I, I can't think right now of another word to use because the top executive in my division, and I'm not going to be using people's names because I don't care about that, and even in the book that we have. But guess what? You can look at the footnotes and you could see the well, real. I position. care about names because I think people need to be called out. Well, well but, you know okay. what, what I'm saying is the one executive is mentioned in Jane's, Jane Turner's case. And as a junior executive, and next thing you know, he gets transferred to New York, and now he's the top executive. He did it to Jane Turner, and I, I don't know exactly. Jane what Turner is another FBI agent, yes. also in in Rosemary's book. Yes. Yes, and a very famous FBI whistleblower. In yes. my book. And my God, her story is something that. Yes, it is. Amazing. It is. She's going to be on the show too. But yes, you know, so, yes. Listen, you did it once. You did it again. You know. Uh, the executives, when I said in 04 for a year, 
um, they wanted their job and now they left and they got fantastic jobs because they, why should I do anything? You know what I'm saying? Don't but worry. I still it. don't get why he, he did that. I don't, I mean, it's one, it's one thing to just to go to the guy and say, look, I know you're new here. You know, right. this, this doesn't fly because it's really, it's against our rules and it's against the law, you know, and that's a very simple thing. So why is he protecting this kind of behavior? It's almost like he's, he's encouraging people to go outside the rules or the law, you know, even on, on the smallest things for some reason, I don't get it. As if, as if to say, if you're part of the FBI, you can do whatever you want or something. I don't know, maybe I'm over-interpreting this, but why? I don't know. You know, there was, I mean, that's why I was shocked. When I tell you, when I sat there and they said, they may fire me and I'm like, but there was no allegations against me. There was nothing against me. I was the one that brought it to their attention. Well, that's my you know, point. My point to you is they don't want to hear anything, but it's only, listen, I'm not going to paint every, every executive like this because one of my best friends in life was a junior executive and stood with me. And guess what? I personally believe his career uh, did not go as far as it could have because he was a friend of mine and everybody knew that we were friends together. He was the only guy that literally visited me on the, 24th floor and he was a junior executive so if this executive has a record of doing this not only to you but to another agent okay um in a way that kind of tells me that his uh usefulness excuse me his his usefulness is um is that he's willing to do things that aren't correct or legal you know well i'll tell you what and this is where my my issue comes with the directors like director muller knew about my case because senator grassley asked him on numerous occasions now how did your case get to muller and grassley well i believe that it was you know i started i started working with the national whistleblower center when did and, you go to them and why? What, what, what was the straw that broke the camel's back for you that sent you to the National Whistleblower Center? Well, it was because I was threatened to be fired. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, okay. I mean, I, I stood for a year. You know, my mother used to say, actions speak louder than words. For a year, I thought I could resolve it. So I didn't do anything. You know, and it wasn't something that, because there was this myth that I just got angry and went out to uh, OIG. No. The I Office of Inspector General. Yeah, the Office of Inspector General. What for the? I have to say they were fantastic. They saved my career. They saved, they saved me because they are unbiased. They're, uh the DOJ, OIG, uh, Mike Horowitz is the leader, and uh, they were great. They came in. They did in the investigation. You know and then what I happened? It, I think it. Well, I'm saying they did the investigation, and a year later they said yes, you were retaliated against, and then. My case went before DOJ OARM, Office of Attorney Review and Management. Basically, in simple terms, that's the judge that will rule on the case. And that took them five years. I mean, it was. Why did it take five years? I, I don't know. I mean, and meanwhile, on, what's happening to you? Well, thank God the FBI did change. And I'll tell you what happened was that Director Muller, the first executive, 
was given a hometown transfer back to his uh, back to Pittsburgh. And uh, he was, you know, Director Mueller would rewarded him. And then the second in charge, and I'm not going to say for what reason, I'm not just to say the second in charge in my division became a top executive and then became the chief inspector of the entire FBI under Director Mueller's leadership. Now, you would think whether you're affiliated with the case or not, and I'm not commenting on that. What I'm saying is, is that if you're even close, isn't there another FBI agent that would be better than when you're a junior executive and then you're a senior executive and this is going on under your command? No. It was it started with Director Mueller and then Director Free. You know, Director Free, I had the opportunity in 2007, actually met him in Mexico on a Mexican vacation. And oh, we were wow. staying at the same resort. My wife and my daughters were upstairs. We're getting dressed. I sat in the lobby and all of a sudden Director Free walks by. And the reason I say this is, is that, you know, I was excited. This was before anything went on. I'd met him. He met me once in New York office. We took pictures and he gave me his personal phone number. He said, if you ever need anything, Robert, give me a call. And guess what? After my case was going on, I picked up the phone and called him and he didn't remember me and he hung up. Oh. And, you know, and, and then the third director, who I had such faith in, Director Comey, I actually was able to get into his office on June 5th, 2014. And his chief of staff, Chuck Rosenberg, and myself, and all three of us um, had a meeting. And, you know, I, I thought initially, wow, the FBI director is allowing me to tell my story. And that 15-minute meeting went on for like 40 minutes. And, you know, Director Comey, I always remember, he leaned back in his chair and he went like this. And he shook his head and he said, Robert, I don't understand what you did in my previous life. You would have won an award. He, he says, and you know, I said, oh my God, he's going to do something. And I believe that they did do some kind of video training for whistleblowers. I'm not sure because by that time I left, but the only thing I got disappointed is that two years later, after, a, uh, after our meeting in 2016, he gave a speech, a short speech, and he talked about Michael Kobus. And I'm like, Michael Kobus, I don't have a brother. And, you know, it's funny. Like, you didn't even remember my, my first. It's almost like he used your case to yeah. you know, make some sort of uh, sound, feel good, sound good uh, point. You know, but, but I, I, in, I in actuality, he just, you know, he, he'd already forgotten who you were. You know, and I, that was a disappointing because I really liked him when I met him. I'm going to be honest with you. You know, he was he was a decent man, I thought. He had children, he had a family. And, you know, it just, I just don't understand. And, and another thing, too, is taxpayers. Like you, you mentioned Rosemary Dew's book. Rosemary Dew is a phenomenal woman. I mean, sexually harassed. You should read the chapter in her book. It was just, yeah, yeah. Oh, there are no, such I, I interviewed her, yeah. And you know what? My, my, the reason why I wanted to come on this show is that I'm hoping an FBI executive watches this video and says out of the 15 whistleblower cases that are in that book, not one executive had, which had the power to say, no, this was wrong. Let's change this. Let's correct this. Fought for the whistleblower. Now, why do you say the executive did not have the power to do it? I mean, either they, no, they did have the power. Oh, and they did not. 
And they didn't. Yes. Why? Because of the career. Because it's all about the money. You know what? Do you want to be that one executive that will stand up and say this is wrong? I mean, listen, what we just seen in the news in Albany, I don't know really about that case, but I know, you know, an, an SAC in Albany harassing female employees. Special oh agent God. in charge harassing female yes. employees. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, you know, it's just, and then look at the cost. You know, I, you know, I'm going back to just the taxpayers out there. My case is a simple case. And you know what? If you took in all the time and the hours, it's millions, it's a more than a million dollars of taxpayers' money being spent. Why? Can't you just tell people to come to work? It's that simple. There's nothing hidden. Like the people would say, well, there must have been more. And I said, no, there was nothing else. It was that simple. I mean, mine's not an exciting case, you know. Well, yes, but that's precisely why your case is interesting to me, because it's such a straightforward situation. And it wasn't such a, an egregious problem. It was a problem that could have easily been solved. And all of a sudden, you end up in this nine year grinder for it, you know? Oh, and yeah. so, and so, to me, that raises enormous questions about this bureaucracy, about the leadership. And, you know, when you say, oh, it's all about the money for them, like, okay, they have this career and in order to protect their future income after this career. And, you know, it's interesting when you said that, I remembered um, um, investigative reporter, uh, Seymour Hirsch, who was talking about the Seth Rich case, um, was talking and, and how the FBI sort of lied about certain things. And, and, and he had talked, he, well, he, he had talked to an FBI guy who had looked at the FBI's uh, file, which they had said did not exist and so on. And he was talking about how, well, you know, these guys, uh, they're looking for the big money afterwards. So they're not going to, you know, they're not going to do anything while they're in office that is going to, but what that, what that says is that you're not going to do your job when it's most important for you to do your job. Right. Because you're waiting for those big bucks when you get out. Right. And that's not, you know, the ideology of the regular FBI street agent is they will run into a burning building. 90, I mean, there's no question in my mind, 95% of the Bureau are phen phenomenal people that they will run into the Bureau, into a burning building to save, you know, people. But yet the ideology of inside when they become executives, and like I said, now you, what you just said with the money is just... It just they get changed. Uh, well, I don't know. It's also it it's also that you use your career to service the agendas of the powerful so that when you get out, you're repaid with a wonderful sinecure or a, a great job. You know, I've seen that before. And and again, this is why your case interested me so much, is because it's to me, emblematic of 
something much, much bigger and more troubling. If on this small scale, they're willing to blow you up when you're trying to do the right thing, what else are they willing to do? And there is a record of what else they're willing to do. And outside, protecting people on the outside, criminals, criminal activity, and so on. And I think that also speaks to a loss that you had you lost your sister on 9-11 and you recently you were part of a uh you you co-signed a letter to the director of national intelligence right could you talk about that sure um, sure so um there are several thousand family members that have one question why did it happen and you know what i don't accept the fact we know that the Saudis were involved. There is no question in my mind that this Saudi Arabia was involved in the funding of 9-11. And there's just nothing in my mind. And you know, we had to literally go out to the DNI. Um, you know, and I'm just gonna have the That's letter the here. Director of National Intelligence. National Intelligence. And I wrote a letter to them personally. And on May 5th of this year, I wrote a letter and other family members and just said, listen, unclassify unclassify the i think it's a 2016 fbi report remember this happened 20 years ago i love when people say it's state secrets i love when people say well you're going to give up their sources and methods well guess what 20 years ago the sources and methods were a lot different so i'm a common sense person all right let the families know what happened why do you think that they're withholding this stuff? Oh, they we know about the reports, but they they said, and you know, what do you mean? What? Why? Why are they withholding the report? Because it doesn't want to go right now. We're b before a federal judge, and we have been, you know, it's been a very positive. Even though it took long, nineteen years, it's a very positive thing that the judge has ruled in our favor several times. JASTA, um, which was a law that the family members got together back in 2016, right, that gives the ability of U.S. citizens to sue foreign countries that are involved in terrorism. And you know what? Let me just for a quick note, the president vetoed it in 2016. And would you believe there was enough votes, Republicans and Democrats, and I don't want to talk about politics, but they overrode the president's veto and it's the law now. And yeah, but know, I'm still, what I'm still looking at, Bob, and this is what I'm yeah. trying to get you to address okay. is why are they, because it feels like they're protecting the Saudis, doesn't it? Of course. Yeah, well, I think, okay. they're protecting, I, protect, I think they're protecting the Saudis and I think they're protecting their own bad decisions. Once again, it's bad decisions that were made that coming up to the investigation and they, you know, we just want to know why it happened. You know, and I, I don't want to go off topic because I know this is a whistleblower program, but I, I, I just, we want to know what happened. And well, this is, but it's tied together, Bob. And because why are they protecting the Saudis? Who are they protecting the Saudis for? Again, you were talking about these executives who, you know, they make certain decisions, including blowing you up, you know, because they have their eye on this future 
uh, money-making thing that they're going to get involved with. The, the money-making thing has to involve powerful organizations and powerful people. That's where the money is when they get out. And so certain decisions are made. And my question to you is, do you not think that the decision to not give the victims this report, to not allow them to see, just like the withholding of those 28 pages, okay, right. which when they were finally, when they were finally released, showed that Prince Bandar's wife, you know, and Prince Bandar were involved in financing these people. Right. Now, you have awkward situations going on that the FBI never talks about, but, you know, they engage in, in suppressing reports. The awkward situation of the Bush family's connection with uh, Prince Bandar, okay? Bush family business connections with bin Laden. Um, you know, the awkward, uh, it, you know, connections with is, is so-called Israeli art students who were, you know, taking, photographing, all these things. And you try and get information on that. You can't. You can't get information on it. If you want to get to the bottom of 9-11 as the family member of a victim, you're not going to get, if the truth is 12 inches long, they're going to, they haven't even given you one inch. Yes. Who are they but, protecting? So but you know what? That, it, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you understand? It's an extrapolation that I'm making, but right. it's interesting because you straddle both sides of that equation, the insider side of the equation and the outsider side of the equation. Right. And you know, why did I do that? And that's, but I really believe in my heart to heart. I'm a very positive person. And I believe if we keep doing, we, we, you can't hide the truth. I remember once again, my mother Truth has it. been hidden on 9-11 since 9-11. Right. But you know what? No matter how long it takes, I mean, we have a great team of attorneys at Motley Rice. They're a huge firm. And we're going to keep asking because we are American citizens. I love this country. And you know what? We deserve to know what happened. Because, you know what's interesting to me? It's interesting to me that Motley Rice is going after the Saudis but isn't going after these agencies that aren't, that are withholding the information from you. Oh no, they are because they are because that they, you know, how many times they've asked the FBI, how many requests they put in. So now we're hoping that the DNI, and I'll just read, if you don't mind, I just. A what's her name again? Avril Haynes or something? Yes. 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 Okay. And I just said, my last paragraph is, I said, please have the courage and integrity to support our request for the 2016 FBI report. I know the family members of the 2,977 people that were killed that day would be internally grateful. I know that my sister's death will mean something in the fight against terrorism. And what I'm trying to say is that eventually, no matter what, whether it's this year, next year, and I'm hoping that it's this year because of the 20th anniversary, I said that somebody will say enough is enough. You know, there, there are good people in the government. We just have to find those good people. Do you want me to tell you something? All those good people, Bob, all those good people during the run-up to 9-11 to were trying very hard, very, very hard to get the information out 
to the, uh, the office, to the, uh, the New York office and the Washington office about, you know, people being given visas who shouldn't have them and so on and so forth. I mean, there was a, there was a faction of people who didn't, you know, like the, the, uh, the, you know, uh, what's her name? Uh, the whistleblower from Minnesota, um, Jane Turner, not Jane, not Jane. I'm oh, talking, I'm Colleen Rowley. I'm Rowley. talking about nine 11. Okay. Colleen and her people were jumping up and down. There were FBI people jumping up and down in Alex station. There were all kinds of, you know, FBI people trying to get this information to the United States and they were being blocked. Okay. They were being blocked by certain other people in the CIA and the FBI. So I think that, you know, what nobody wants to talk about and what your case shows is that you have within these agencies and other agencies of this government, uh, you have people who are there for the United States of America and the people of the United States. And there are others who are there for other things, you know, and, right. and, and you talk about, and, but nobody wants to talk about that, Bob. Yeah, but we're talking about it and we're gonna so keep on talking about we're, it. We're talking about it, but you know, the people that you are appealing to who are the upper echelon people, the executives, I'm sorry, but they're the ones who have the power to give you the information and they have, were the ones who had the power to make sure that all this information before 9-11 happened was given to the right people so they could stop this thing didn't happen. So I guess what I'm saying is, you know, who is Motley Rice suing in the United States government, for example? I mean, I'm looking at this and I've had enough, you know, I do this whistleblower show. I talk to people from all these agencies who like you, like you, love their country, doing the right thing, like the, you know, walking the straight and narrow, and they run into this buzzsaw because they've run into a bigger agenda. Yeah, but I think, you know, hopefully, like, put it this way, we already have two FBI special agents that want to be in the next chapter of volume two of the of Jane of uh, Rosemary Dew's book. What I'm trying to say is, I think, and I'm sorry, I'm an eternal optimist. I really am. Even I think no it's matter good what, to be an eternal optimist, but you, know, you have to know who you have to know who to go after and you right. have to go after them. If you're, if, if anything's look at, look at what happened on the anthrax attacks. Okay. Right. Look at what happened on the anthrax attacks. The FBI went after somebody and said he was the culprit who there's just no way he could have been the culprit. He just didn't have the equipment, the know-how or anything to do what they said that he did. And instead, they ignored the, the labs and the individuals who actually did. And if you go to the FBI vault, if you go to the FBI vault with, uh, on the documents that they put out on their investigation of the anthrax attacks, Bob, all you see is everything that they were trying to dig up on Bruce Ivins who became their scapegoat. Anything they did, they, they there's nothing, absolutely nothing. And I've been through all 59 of those files, okay? There's absolutely nothing 
on Dugway Proving Grounds and, and Battelle Memorial and the scientists, uh, the, the scientists who actually developed that highly refined trillion, you know, trillion grams per, per spore, you know, trillion spores per gram of, of, uh, of anthrax, okay? I mean, there's nothing in that vault on those people. That's not for no reason. And, you know, and, and so when I talk to FBI employees and agents like you, like Mark, like Rossini, Mark Rossini, you know, like, you know, Fred, it's weird. It's like nobody wants to address this elephant in the room, which is I, there are traitors in your, in your establishments in your right. bureau right but let me ask you a question okay. if that's okay what do you think is what is more powerful than the fbi of the u.s government and the reason I'll, I'll just answer it is that it's public opinion and what i what i believe and maybe foolishly but i think if enough people hear about this that goes on if enough people um if other people get involved for both internally and externally I said, I really believe, look at the country today is changing and it's changing. It's more open and, you know, social media and different things, different avenues. We talk a lot about this uh, now a lot more openly. And I really believe, I have to believe um, that things will change, you know, and that's where, but sometimes you need, you know, it's not, it's like, I always tell my children, you have to work hard in life. And you know what? I'm working hard on this. This is my passion. I mean, I'm in another industry right now, and it's funny. I'm doing very well, but yet it's not. I'm not passionate about it. This is my passion. This, the book being on, and you know, it's, it's great. We were able. We went to the FBI pre-publishing. Rosemary Dew got the authorization. We wrote the book. Uh, she wrote the book. We took in the stories, and you know what? Eventually, it's going to be out there. Eventually, I believe that we're going to get somebody to feature these stories because. They have very important stories. Who, like who has case. been held accountable in any of these stories? Who at the top has been held accountable, Bob? You know what? You're right. I mean, but you have to keep trying. You can't give up. You know. No, I'm. I'm not talking about giving up, but I'm talking about in order to be effective, you've got to you've got to look at reality in the eye. You right. have to look and see what it is you're dealing with and what you're dealing with are upper echelon people in power upper echelon people making decisions that are illegal okay and you know they are against the interest of the nation and its people and they're getting promoted and yet nobody nobody ever goes after those individuals and people say and you know people say oh it's the fbi or it's the cia or it's the you know executive branch or it's the doj no there are individuals in all of those agencies that make specific decisions that are crimes but and and i feel like you know just like in your case you go after the saudis 
of course you go after the Saudis. But the Saudis are being protected here in the United States. And the protectors, the protectors of the Saudis should have been protecting, guess who? Your sister. Exactly. And yet, what's happened to them? What's going to happen to Mueller? What's going to happen to everybody below him? What's going to happen to the people who, who took nine years of your life and turned it into a living hell because you were, you were, they get promoted. If, if this is allowed to continue, if there's no accountability on that level, on that side, it's just going to get worse and worse. It's not going to get better. And it has, I think. Right. But maybe one day, and maybe I'm just hoping that maybe the attorney general of the United States, or even the president, they seem like decent men. They have families. You know, and that's another thing that, you know, what really helped me all through my case is I have a very strong bond with my family. And you know what? The FBI couldn't break me. Even though I sat there for nine years and I sat there for almost a year on a deserted floor because of my family. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I guess if hopefully if, if uh, an FBI employee sees this, there's the thing in the FBI, it's called FBI family. And I said to myself, I never really understood that line when I was working. It's, oh, you, you know, you have an FBI family. And I'm like, but no, I have the Cobus family. It's, um, you know, that's the one I care about. And I said, no, no, you have an FBI family. And I, and I just... I find it funny because it's a great. But you know, do. You have Rosemary. You have Jane. You yeah. have Fred. You have, you know, here's the thing. I mean, it's why I have this show. You know, it's why I have this show. There are people in these agencies who are, I mean, amazing. They're absolutely amazing because against all odds against everything in their self-interest they persevered anyway yes okay because that's inside they have this system this value system and inside i believe they have a love for just people they they know if if you know if this were if if this were my sister or my brother or my whoever, you know, I would I would not allow this to happen to them. And you know, this is this is our agency. That in your case, you were saying this is the this agency. It has rules. There are laws. We serve the American people. You know, we we are a public. Uh, you know, we get paid by the American people. This is the right thing to do, and I'm going to step up and do it. And so that I believe those people are your family because they have that same value system. And you know what? Not everybody, not everybody's value system is tested like that. You right. bit a bullet for nine years. For nine right. years, you bit a bullet. How many other people in that agency do you think would bite a bullet for nine years? I mean, how many people do you think would do what Fred Whitehurst did? He went no. through hell then he won his million dollars and he used that million dollars to get justice for the victims of the FBI. You, the, you are a breed apart, but do not, do not, I feel, forget that the only thing that will change 
the situation is accountability at the in the power arena accountability in the power arena is everything if the problem is if among the powerful agencies you have all that corruption if you have that corruption in the department of justice if you have that corruption in the in the courts you know right and you know it's you know i go down to uh, two words you know it's amazing how in society right we talk about kids being bullied and to me an sac when they have so much power and they do something like they did to me or to fred or to jane they're bullies and you, you know, can call them whatever you want no but what you I'm have to, to hold is, them accountable right but do you see how society um you know we're addressing the bully problem like this is not going to change overnight and i know that but what i'm just trying to say is that look i survived i'm an fbi whistleblower even though i never honestly and I, I i like humor so don't mind me but i never understood this term whistleblower like i didn't stand around with a whistle down the hallway so i just i i have to laugh a little bit because i am a happy person you know but what i'm trying to say is there will be there are more people coming up for the book we might have four or five six volumes of this book in the years to come i hope you know? so and, and i want to have every person on my show because i look, I... now look at this i know it's not progress like, you know, because we want to be progress from A to Z right away. But look what happened in the Albany office. Okay. The Albany office, and I, I don't know anything about the case. I just read it from the newspaper. And, and you know what? That executive that was asked to re, you know, move or resign or he retired or whatever, his name is out there in Google world, no matter what. So, you know what? Shame on him. He's always going to be linked to that situation. But the you know, question is, why is his butt not in jail? Well, that I don't know enough about the case. But you know what, though? Executives need to be aware there's a thing. Like, if you Google my case, right, you'll see, like Senator Grassley has put out, you could see exactly the people that were involved in my case. Now, yes, are people going to dig down deep? But you know what? When these executives go to companies and they mess up there, because you know what? People really don't change. You don't think they're bullies in the FBI. They're going to be bullies in private industry, and then they're going to be sued, and somebody's going to look. No, well, because private industry is where is where they want to end up. And when you're getting, and they're going to get, you know, a, a ton more money, and they're going to walk the straight, whatever the corporate straight and narrow is for them, because they're being paid to do that. I mean, the problem is, it's so interesting. It's so easy to betray the public interest and you know in the interest of that bigger check later on you know and and because these people respond to money these people respond to money and, and, and you know a lot of corruption is 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 all about that but i guess i i go back because to me that is what your case is emblematic of i go back to the power structure and how there is no accountability um, in the power structure, it, certainly at the higher levels of power, not only for internal, you know, internal malfeasance, like the, what you experienced, but major external, external right. malfeasance. I mean, you, you talk about 9-11, we can talk about, 
you know, we did, we talked about anthrax. TWA, I'm intimately familiar with the cover up process that occurred for TWA. And nobody, you know, nobody's been held accountable for that. As a matter of fact, Jim Calstrom, who was in charge of that, Jim Calstrom literally, <laughs> I'll tell you something. I was at CBS when I lost my job because I had gotten some uh, evidence had been from inside the investigation had been sent to me and I was let go. And CBS's law enforcement consultant at that time, Paul Raganese, who was an NYPD bomb squad guy, okay, he was let go. And guess who replaced him as CBS's uh, law enforcement consultant? Calstrom. Okay, so that was his first little sinecure, you know, and then Calstrom, he got uh, he he got a, a some kind of security job for a big corporation. I can't can't remember if it was a bank or whatever. And you know, he's done very well financially for himself after TWA. Never been held accountable and is rewarded. So that's my point. If people keep getting rewarded, how are you going to get your report? How are you going to get that 16 page? Because report? if enough people, if enough people hear the show, if enough people, if public opinion is, if we can, you know, if we can go out to the public, that is stronger than, yes, maybe the gentleman wasn't held accountable then, but we're talking about it now. And eventually down the road, we're talk, you're going to talk about other subjects. And I really believe that there's going to be accountability just by the nature of society with social media and with, I, I really truly have to believe, but it's going to take a while. Like, for example, you know, the FBI, it was, um, I think there was a statement by the deputy director recently that says they, they set up a hotline for sexual harassment, right? So by them saying that they set up a hotline for sexual harassment, they're acknowledging that there's sexual harassment because why would you set up a, hotline for sexual harassment. The only thing that I would say is have the hotline go to the OIDOJ, OIG. How do you, I mean, these executives, the FBI executives, I find it like, think about common sense. Would an employee want to report it to another bureau employee? No, you got to have an outside source. And you know what? I think if enough people talk about it, maybe the FBI will realize that they have to have, they have to go outside. They can't Here. internally. Okay. You have a hotline for sexual harassment. That's very good. That's excellent. Good thing. Will you ever have a hotline for agents and other people who, it, it, within the FBI, who suppress information about what was going to happen? before 9-11, who hid documentation, who lied to the American public, who, you know, otherwise somehow criminally engaged in, you know, covering up information before, during, and after 9-11. Will you ever see that hotline get set up? No, you won't see a hotline set up, but if enough people know, listen, go to the DOJ OIG, Mike Horowitz, and I, you know, I'm sorry to say his name, but it's, I, I've seen it two times in my career, that they were the saviors. They looked at it with a level head. They took in all the evidence and they agreed. 
So what I'm saying is, is that it's, we have to get the word out there. It's not the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Things have changed. And I really believe that if we get enough people to talk about it, you know, if we get enough people to, uh, you know, to start picking up the phone, we can solve this problem. Every problem in life can be solved, you know, and uh, I really truly believe that. And I'm sorry, Christina. I, I, I actually this. believe that. I believe, yeah. I believe what you're saying. And I like your optimism. I just, I guess what I'm trying to say is I feel as if people do not focus on the, on the right targets. Okay, that's right. what I'm saying. I feel like the targets, you know, you're going after the Saudis over here, when over here, right here at home, you have all these people who have been protecting the Saudis, right. who are withholding the reports from you, okay, who are doing everything they can to put the brakes on this process, and and they're getting, you know, big money sinecures, they're getting nice retirement, they're getting, meanwhile, you and you, you're fighting, and you're fighting the Saudis over here. When, yeah, but guess if what, you though? got, if yeah. you got the, the paperwork from these people who are withholding it, if you got them to talk, because they know what the Saudis did, they know. No, no, listen, it's just like, but you know what? I really believe, listen, I'm not the most religious guy in town. I believe there's a God, and, but you know what? Look at Yahoo News. What happened was with the, uh, I think it was with that redacted report where they forgot to redact a person's name on like page 55 or whatever. And I'm just talking very general here. And all of a sudden, boom, the person that we were trying to get out there, the FBI inadvertently um, missed redacting the name. Why did that happen? Because, you know, we have good on our side. And you know what? It got out there, and then now it's out there, and now it helped us. You know, sure, it took us 19 years to fight this case, but guess what? We're still in the fight. We're still in the fight, and it's not going to go away. And, uh, you know, I guess maybe I'm optimistic, too. I'll just tell you another quick story. Was that, so I have two, uh, two daughters. They're in their late 20s. But I remember going on, they were, they were teenagers at the time, and you know, I, I, it can actually bring tears to my eyes. I'm not, I'm not going to cry in front of you now. But, you know, my daughter's friend asked my daughter, what is a whistleblower? And my daughter had to be maybe 16 at the time. And she turned around to a friend and said, it's somebody that does the right thing. You know, and I said to myself, you know what? I was so proud. And it wasn't something that I even thought of or I even said in front of her. And you know what? And that's where I hope, you know, my daughter see... Um, you know, the, what went on with me. My daughters are in a different field of uh, work, but you know what? It's a field of work that there's, there's rules and regulations and everything else. And um, you know what? They'll always take that. So, you know, I know it's a slow process. You know, you know we're talking here about cases that went on in 2005, you know, I won in 14. I can't believe it's seven years already, but you know what? How many thousands of people hopefully will read our book, Your FBI? And yes, I'm going to, sorry, now I'm going to sound like a salesman. People need to go on Amazon and- Show the book. Go ahead. You want you know, to show I'm that sorry. book. I know you I, want I, I'm sorry. You know, go ahead. This is show it. the book. This is it. <laughs> and especially 
Forget my case. You heard my boring admin case, but look at Jane Turner's case. Look at Fred Whitehurst's case. I mean, we hear all the time people imprisoned for 30 years getting out of prison because of faulty DNA, you know, or whatever. You know what? That's going to be out there because that wasn't out there in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. You know, so I kind of look at progress. I know it's little steps. And it's going to take years, and I'll be dead by the time we get to a full-blown, you know, where the FBI has a um, has a hotline for uh, whistleblowing to another agency, you know. But hey, listen, I got to hope, I got to, you know, and we're just going to keep going forward, you know. I know Motley Rice is going to win their case because he can't hide the truth, you know. And the, you know, you killed three thousand Ameri- almost three thousand Americans, you know what? It's going to come. It's it's going to be out there, and I really believe that there will being a uh, positive ending to this and to, and I really want to thank you too for giving me an opportunity to talk about my case, because I think it's great what you do. And um, you know what, I'm not looking back. Let's just look forward. And uh, well, sorry. I think I, again, uh, you know, we are coming to an end here, but I, I, I don't think your case is a small thing because I feel as if, if somebody who has done something on such a, minimal level to up to serve continue serving the public and to do the right thing is so viciously attacked then that tells you that there's something major some major correction that needs to occur bureaucratically and and i think that you know i appreciate very much very much your optimism and sometimes i actually share it and i also think that the next generation is of great hope because these people, you know, the millennials, the millennials and, and younger, they do believe in, in the, that we're all interconnected connected and, you know, what happens to you happens to me. And that is of great hope to me too. So you, you, you're right. I don't disagree with you. No, no, I'm not saying and I'm right I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate very much your your positivity and your you know spirit of wanting to move forward and seeing this thing through. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for and, you know <laughs> let's uh, let's see what happens going forward. Thank you. All right, take care. <laughs>